Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. Unless you've been living under a rock, you can't have missed the recent swell in conversation about the perimenopause and the menopause. After years of this life stage being swept under the carpet, we've finally got medical professionals and well-known faces standing up and shouting from the rooftops. One of those people is my guest today. Dr. Louise Newson is a GP and menopause specialist. She runs a menopause clinic which helps women all over the UK. She hosts a podcast dedicated to perimenopause and menopause. And her book, The Definitive Guide to the Perimenopause and Menopause, is a bestseller. Louise, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. How are you doing today? Are you rushing from thing to thing? I bet you are. Yeah, the problem is I I just put a bit too much in my diary. I'm very ambitious with my time. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it's good. It, what's really interesting about my days are they're, they're very, really varied. So everything I do, or not everything, but most things is a real privilege. And I'm always meeting interesting people or talking to patients or, you know, it's great when you've got a varied job. I'm very, very privileged being a doctor anyway, but I'm really privileged having a job that has so many different directions and every day is a new day, as they say. That's great. And it's great. It's clear that you still enjoy it. So that's... Yeah, that's you can't brilliant. do anything if you don't enjoy it, can you? I think, well, of course you can, but then, but then if you don't enjoy, especially your work, I think mm. then it, it reflects on everything you do. You can't do the best job if you're not enjoying it. That's so true. Uh, so the menopause happens to roughly half the population. How are we still in a situation in 2023 where so many women are still in the dark and, you know, not really sure about the facts and struggling when it happens to them? I wish I could answer that. I think I think a lot of it is actually because it's women that it's being affected, that have been affected. I know that sounds maybe lots of people might won't agree with that but I actually do um I also think that we've been gaslighted medically gaslighted for many years as well and I also think women haven't been listened to as well and we've been misdiagnosed with other things too um and then there's this whole sort of shame like something's happening to your body and it's out of your control and maybe that's just because you've got teenage children or you're older and we always make excuses some you know for reasons so I think and then the other thing is is that for 20 years you know the most effective evidence-based treatment for the menopause is HRT but every sentence about HRT has got breast cancer in it 
So actually, if we're told that the best treatment that you can have is got risks, then what's the point of getting that treatment? So there's lots of reasons, I think, that, um, it, and it's still misunderstood. I think, you know, even if you just look at the, the word menopause, menstrual cycle stop, so it's all about our period stopping. And then it's about uh, post-reproductive health, people call it. So after your reproductive years. Now, as a 52-year-old woman, I really don't want periods. And actually, I really don't want children either. So I don't want to be defined by my womb. I really yeah. don't. I want to be defined by what the best, you know, how to be as healthy as possible. So I think for many years, we've not really, and many people still don't really understand how our hormones escape from our ovaries, get in our bloodstream and go to every single cell in our body. And until we have an understanding that the menopause is actually more of a brain disorder, it's a cognitive disorder, the commonest symptoms are brain fog, memory problems. These hot flushes and sweats can occur. You know, the balance app we've created, many women talk about the, the vasomotor symptoms, but it's number eight, nine on their list. Number one, two, three are mood, you know, sleep, brain fog, anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got to think of it as not just a gynecological disorder or a women's health problem that is just a natural transition. Actually, we've got to be thinking about what's the detriment of not having our hormones and actually what are the risks of being denied HRT rather than the risks of taking it, which is spinning it on its head, actually, um, yeah. as to what been, we've been told for the last 20 odd years. That's so interesting. You're talking about the, like the word and the language that we use around the menopause. So it's like it's the end of something. Mm. It's, you know, it's the end of your reproductive years. It's the stopping of your periods mm. rather than it just being this is the next phase yes. in our lives or this is the beginning of something or, you know, it, it's, it's just got that negativity around it, hasn't it? It totally has. And, you know, I was talking to, it's amazing, also to Joanna Harris, I'm sure you know recently, and we were talking about how convenient it is for society to, um, for um, women to be invisible. And this is part of our invisibility being menopausal, of course. And what we should be saying to people is, right, you've got this next stage of your life. How are you going to make it the best? And, you know, I've been doing yoga this morning. If I didn't do yoga regularly, my mental health would be terrible. And my physical health would be, and my pelvic floor would probably be awful too. So actually, I've decided I have this commitment that on a Wednesday morning, someone comes into where I work, I'm very fortunate, he's taught me for 20 years, and I do Ashtanga Yoga, the primary series, and my bit, my diary is blocked out for that. And, you know, that's really important for me, and that's part of my menopause treatment if you like yeah um but actually we need to be investing in ourselves because i'm really scared of osteoporosis clearly i take hrt which will reduce my risk but actually i need to look at exercise and i spend so much time sitting down at my desk like we all do i have it's lovely to be thinking about going on bracing walks but actually i don't have much time and the time i have i want to spend with my family as well yeah so i invest my time in an exercise that works for me but that's part of me knowing that I need to keep my bones healthy and my heart healthy and my brain healthy. So, but we need people to educate us because, you know, I've got three children, every single child, I had so much, uh, too much, you know, sort of antenatal classes and all this information. And then a health visit and men visiting me at home, that was lovely, great. But actually, pregnancy is quite short. Yeah. Your children grow up. 
And you've still got hormone problems and who's looking out for us? Yeah. Who's really watching our back? And I don't think enough people are. And a lot of the work we do as an organisation, we, we help people who don't come to our clinic. So we've been doing a big project, women who've had FGM, so women who've been cut and they're menopausal. You can't imagine how they experience menopausal women living with HIV, women who are homeless, women in prisons. You know, every woman should have a privileged time so they can make the best version of themselves when they're menopausal but you're absolutely right it's all about stopping it's all about you know some finality and it it shouldn't be really should it so we've touched upon it a little bit just now but for anyone listening who isn't totally familiar I feel like I'm in a world where there's so much menopause chat but that's because I've immersed myself I'm in this little kind of bubble on social media but some people might might be listening who are a bit like oh Mm. I'm not really sure what this is all about I'm in my 30s I know it's something that's coming my way but can you just in a nutshell give us a quick explanation about you know what to expect yeah and so if I as I said before the word is stopping periods to actually medically if you like get the diagnosis you have to have a year without your periods but actually a lot of people's periods stop for other reasons or they're on contraception or they might have had a hysterectomy so it's not that useful um but there isn't a blood test that we can do to to diagnose it um, because our hormone levels change but what happens usually for women is as we age our ovaries that produce hormones um, just don't have as many eggs so the eggs run out the hormones associated with the egg production reduces now hormones are just messengers that go from one cell to another one part of the body to another tell the body what to do Um, so we've got estrogen progesterone testosterone in our ovaries As those levels decline, it can affect different areas in our body. So many women have symptoms of the menopause and they really vary. Some women might have just a few hot flushes. Other women might have headaches. Some women have joint pains. Some women have urinary symptoms. Some women, as I've said, feel incredibly tired, anxiety, low mood, um, reduced motivation. All these symptoms can be very common and they can come and go. They can Um, last many years some people they can last for decades but whether women have symptoms or not once the ovaries stop working they don't restart so the hormones are low forever and we know that our hormones are biologically active all around our body and they have really beneficial effects so we know that the longer a woman is without her hormones there are health risks such as an increased risk of heart disease, osteoporosis, diabetes, dementia, clinical depression. It's quite doom and gloom being menopausal. But we know that from evidence and we know that because our hormones are important. Um, But even before the menopause, there's this perimenopause that people start talking about a bit more. And peri just means around the time of. So that's what happens when our hormones start to decline and we start to get menopausal symptoms, but we're still having periods And that time can actually be worse for some women than the menopause because our hormones don't just decline very nicely and slowly. They often go up, down, up, down like a seesaw. And for any of you who have been menopausal, perimenopausal, you'll realise some days you feel great. You're living the life. Other days you just want to kill everyone around you. You can't sleep. You're feeling absolutely dreadful. And you're still getting periods. You haven't even got the benefit. And you're still getting periods. No. And actually a lot of women, um, their periods become heavier and more frequent. So... The last thing they're thinking of the menopause because their periods are still there. Um, and that perimenopause can last 10 years or so before the menopause. And not saying that everyone, anyone's average, but the average um, age of the menopause is 51 in the UK. Some countries it's a lot earlier. 
So that means many women, the, the majority in their 40s, will be perimenopausal. But we also know about three in 100 women under the age of 40 have an early menopause. So that means there are women in their, even their teens, but you know their 20s and 30s who will either be menopausal or perimenopausal. And when you don't have a specific blood test that you can do to diagnose it, that's what makes it really difficult. And, you know, we know there's a lot of talk that, you know, HRT is being over-prescribed and that we're medicalising the menopause. But actually, so many women we see in my clinic are on antidepressants. They're on painkillers. Some of them have been given sleeping tablets. Some of them have been given uh, blood pressure-lowering treatment. Lots of treatments they're given for these various symptoms and they've gone back and forth to hospitals for tests for their palpitations, for their headaches, for their urinary symptoms for their joint pains and then once someone suddenly and it's usually the patient themselves actually think oh maybe it's my hormones yeah joining um, the dots then it yeah then they join the dots and then if they do take hrt which replaces the missing hormones a lot of the symptoms melt away yeah i mean we you know i i hear so much and you must too you hear from so many women who go to their gp with these symptoms and they feel that they're not listened to even if they do suggest maybe it's you know menopause you know i've been told by my gp uh, oh you're very young i was i think i was 42 at the time you're very young but we will look into it um, and i knew like you know, exactly what you just said mm. that it can happen you know, in your 40s, absolutely. Um, you know, or they're sent for blood tests and they're, the blood tests come back normal. Um, what's your advice for someone who thinks that they might be perimenopausal and they just want quick assessment and quick treatment? I think the most important thing is to get as much information as possible before you go and see a healthcare professional. And that healthcare professional might not necessarily be a GP. It might be a nurse or a pharmacist or, or someone in, in the hospital. Um, the reason that I created Balance app was that people could download information that's bespoke for them and create a health report. And the health report is really just a collection of symptoms with periods if people are getting them. And then work out yourself is it HRT you want? Is there something else that you want? Or do you just want a conversation to say, could it be my hormones? Go with the health report and say, look, I know you're very busy, but actually these symptoms are really affecting me. And I've done some reading and I think it could be related to my hormones and I would like a trial of HRT, for example. And then that takes 10 seconds. So you've got nine minutes and 50 seconds left of your 10 minute appointment to talk about treatment choices. And then if, if the healthcare professional isn't keen to prescribe, then I think having information such as, I know the NICE menopause guidance say how safe HRT is, and as a consenting adult, I would really like to try HRT. I know it's fully reversible. I know there are more benefits and risks. I'm prepared to take any small risks they might have because I'd like to see if it improves my symptoms and my future health. And with HRT, it's fully reversible. Women are in control. No one's pinning women down and forcing them to take HRT. Um, and within three months, people often know whether it's improving. They might not feel completely better because the dose or type might need changing, but it's a step in the right direction. And that all sounds like it's really easy to do, but it's quite hard, especially if your brain isn't working and you feel all over the place. And I feel quite nervous going to see the doctor because I think I'm wasting their time. They're always late. I know they're really busy and they're dealing with other things. But actually, if you get that 10-minute consultation right, then that's an investment in your future health. And I really feel as a healthcare professional, I can really help transform women's 
not just their immediate lives, but their future health as well, if I get it right. But also, it's about sharing the decision making and empowering them to make sure that they're on the right journey. Because, you know, if I said to a woman, you must take this medicine, and gave them no information, that medicine would end up in their kitchen cupboard because they wouldn't understand what they're doing, you know? So it's having this partnership. You've got to feel confident and comfortable with what you're doing. And, you know, we spend a lot of time as GPs learning about consultations. And in my menopause clinic, most of us are GPs or we've got some nurses and pharmacists. And we spend a lot of time asking what patients want. And some women come to the clinic, they don't want HRT. They just want to know they haven't got dementia Mm -hmm. or they want to know they've got real symptoms that someone's actually listening to and 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 like you say I think what I know so many women are not listened to it's all in their heads you know someone um the other day told me that she was diagnosed with a um anxiety disorder by the by the GP and it was that she was told that she's making up her symptoms and that's leading to her anxiety now she had an early menopause and she'd suffered for eight years before she became very suicidal and ended up in a psychiatric hospital now why are we not listening to people um as a doctor i'm always taught as a medical student i was taught the diagnosis is in the history you have to ask the right questions but sometimes people don't fit into the right boxes of clinical diagnoses and you know, I've misdiagnosed women in the past because I didn't realise that um, tinnitus was a symptom of the menopause or dry eyes or burning mouth. No one taught me. Yeah. But actually, when you do know this, and certainly if women know this, we, we've got to listen to our patients and and learn from them so that we can help them. Because the suffering, I mean, you've probably heard stories. I've heard stories all the time of women who are just turned away Um and I don't, I don't know why. Why it's twenty twenty three? Why should we be doing this to women? I don't yeah. know. I mean, is it is it is it a big problem in terms of medical training? You know, are we are our GPs not not being trained enough in in this stuff? What what can be done do you, in your view to improve this? Uh, yeah, I mean, there isn't there isn't as much training as there should be. Absolutely, um, some of the training that's been done hasn't been adequate. I think it's not holistic enough. I think um, I'm I'm a physician, not a gynaecologist, and I've also got a pathology degree. So I'm very interested in science. I'm very interested in the role of hormones to reduce inflammation in the body and reduce disease. The problem in medicine is you're compartmentalized. So if you're a cardiologist, you're only looking at the heart. Yeah. If you're a neurologist, you're only looking at the brain. So if someone comes with palpitations, the cardiologist will focus in on the palpitations, quite rightly, of course, but they won't take a step back and think, could this woman be menopausal? Could it be related to her low hormones? And same with the neurologist. You know, if if I go to a migraine clinic because of my migraines, it's all about my migraines. It's not about, oh, have your hormones changed? Could you maybe be on a different dose of HRT, Louise, that will stop your migraines being so bad? And that's the way medicine rightly in some ways has become very specialized but menopause is a cinderella specialty it's sort of been given to the gynecologist whereas i don't need to see a gynecologist because i have migraines because i've got low hormones you know what i mean and so no one's owning uh, the menopause and then a lot of gps do the most amazing job with the menopause but there are still some and i heard from one last week who said louise you don't understand all i do is see menopausal women and it's at the detriment of other patients Mm. And they're seeing it as a real nuisance, yeah. these menopausal women. Oh. And there's a 
some doctors and healthcare professionals think that HRT is a lifestyle drug and we all want to just look like Davina, that's why we take HRT. So it's now become a bit of a middle-class treatment that we're supposedly over-prescribing. So until we change the perceptions of what the menopause is and the association of the menopause with chronic disease, I think we're never going to change. And we've got really good evidence that women who take HRT have a lower risk of heart disease and osteoporosis. Yet, so many people say there isn't enough evidence because the US um, guidelines have recently said there isn't enough evidence for asymptomatic women, so women who don't have symptoms. Well, most women do have symptoms, actually, if you ask them enough, but it's been taken out of context and twisted. And I think some of it is about money as well, because... Oh, goodness, there's 14 million menopausal women. If they all have HRT, that's going to cost a lot of money in the short term. Um, And, you know, so there's this misunderstanding, really. And I don't know how you get that through to some doctors and not just doctors, actually, healthcare professionals, but also policymakers as well. Um, They see me as a really annoying person, some of these people. And I'm there's a lot of people really wanting to silence me Um, and it's quite frightening actually and I you know many days I do want to give up but then there are other people who are also doing the same as me they're just maybe not as gobby as me but um you know the papers are there the science is there yeah there's a lot of support of what I do but there's a few people that really don't like it and they're the ones that actually are making making a difference in a negative way for women um and my big issue with all of this is let allow women to have a choice if no one in in the uk wants hrt then don't prescribe it but what i am hearing from is every day that they're being turned away or they're being told just buy a relaxation tape or have this antidepressant or you know go and um leave your husband or it's all in your mind or you know and that that's where i feel it's we haven't really moved on have we in women's house you know and the lack of research you know there's no research being done Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And you've mentioned that, um, you know, there there has been a lot of fear around HRT. And, you know, you said that quite often it's it's mentioned alongside breast cancer so often, like in the same breath. Um, you know, I still chat to women who are reluctant to use HRT because mm. of those breast cancer fears. Um, how how has that happened? How, um, you know, we, we, so many of us watched that documentary that Davina um, did that mm. you took part in where she explained that, you know, there was this study and 
actually the information wasn't necessarily correct. Do you want to talk a little bit about that just in case anyone listening is still concerned? Yeah, it's really, yeah, thank you. It's really important actually. So um, this was called the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative Study, and it came out in 2002. Before that time, so in the 90s, we used to prescribe HRT a lot more. About 30% of menopausal women took HRT and we, we could see that women were feeling better. Isn't that lovely as a doctor to help people feel better? But more importantly, people were having lower risk of disease and generally healthier. So the Americans did a billion dollar study, a lot of money then and now actually to spend, especially on women, for goodness sake. Um, They did a study trying to see if older women would benefit in the same way. It was a study that in my mind should really never have been set up because the average age of women in the study was 64. And they had to look up fine women who had no symptoms because To do a randomised control study with something as effective as HRT, you would quickly know who was on placebo or not. You can imagine those women who had vasomotor symptoms, they melt away quite often within weeks with HRT, not with placebo. So they selected these women. A lot of the women in the study had had heart attacks in the past and quite a few were obese. They followed these women up. There wasn't really much happening. In the late 1900s, early 2000s, They really wanted to try and get some results. And one of the things that they found was there was a bit of a wobble over the line with breast cancer um, incidents. Um, So rather than analysing it properly, what they decided to do, or some of the, not all, some of the investigators did, is they went to the press and the medical press um, to say there was a risk with breast cancer. Some of the other investigators said, please don't go to the press because we haven't analysed it properly. They said, too late, it's already gone. It's gone to the New York Herald and it's gone to the New England Medical Journal. So the next day, everyone woke up to this news that HRT causes, I say in inverted commas, breast cancer. So understandably, HRT prescribing fell off a cliff. People stopped taking it. Millions of women stopped. Quite rightly then, the investigators looked at the study properly. And what they found was that women who had taken this combination estrogen with a synthetic progestogen, there was seemed to be a small increased risk of breast cancer, but it wasn't statistically significant. And it was still lower than other risk factors for breast cancer, which include being overweight or um, smoking or or not exercising. So the magnitude of risk was still very small. They've also followed women up who'd had a hysterectomy and only had oestrogen. And they found that those women had a lower future risk of breast cancer. So the oestrogen seems to be the good part, the synthetic older type progestogen, not so good. There was a small increased risk of heart attack in the older woman, but it was a synthetic progestogen and the tablet oestrogen has risks. Fast forward 20 years, we give oestrogen through the skin, so it has no clot risk, it's very safe. We give a natural progesterone, which again, doesn't have a clot risk or a heart disease risk. And we've not done a randomised control study, um, but the studies have shown that there doesn't seem to be an increased risk of breast cancer. But even if you look at the worst type of HRT with this risk of breast cancer, it is still lower than other lifestyle risk factors. The other thing to remember is that most women die from heart disease and dementia. So this is all about choice. I might have an increased risk of breast cancer taking HRT, but I also might be the one in seven women that get breast cancer anyway. If I get breast cancer tomorrow, how can I prove it's my HRT that's caused it? But actually, as a consenting adult, I'm more concerned about osteoporosis and heart disease and dementia, actually. 
So I've chosen to take it because there are benefits. And we do know that even from the WHI study, that younger women who started HRT earlier and women of any age had a lower risk of heart disease and osteoporosis. So it's all about choice. And it's a women... Um, it's not just about breast cancer. We also know, just a final thing, I know I keep going also, but um, women who took any type of HRT in that study had a lower risk of dying from breast cancer. So some women might have had a diagnosis earlier, but their overall mortality from breast cancer was not increased. So there's a one thing about being diagnosed, and I'm not belittling breast cancer, of course, but there's the other thing actually dying. And we know just from basic pathophysiology that estrogen is very anti-inflammatory in the body and we know there was a lower risk of bowel cancer for example lower lower instance of bowel cancer so we need to just look in the bigger picture a lot of women who take hrt they find that they lose weight they exercise more they sleep better so their overall risk of diseases because of their lifestyle as well as taking hrt improves too so it's a, it's a lot more than just a study that's put everyone off HRT, yeah, if you see what I mean. I can see that. And what about women who've had breast cancer? Am I right in thinking that they can't take HRT? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, but there's no right or wrong with this because, firstly, we haven't done any studies. There's no randomised control studies looking at that. A lot of people think, well, if I've had breast cancer, I absolutely can't. Well, firstly, there's nothing in medicine or life that you can say you absolutely can't. I wish I were things with my teenage children, but I could say you absolutely can't. Of course I can't. Things are out of our control. So um, there are some studies that have shown that women who've had HRT following breast cancer diagnosis actually a better prognosis there was a small study that showed that women had increased risk of recurrence so we don't know there are different types of breast cancer as well so there are estrogen receptor negative breast cancers which many women many healthcare professionals feel that those women are safe to take hrt women who've had estrogen receptor positive breast cancer doesn't mean that it's been caused by estrogen it just means there are estrogen receptors there and um, it doesn't mean that taking HRT will make it worse. And then it becomes very individualized. We sometimes see women in the clinic, and I saw someone recently who just said, Dr. Newton, I just want to live rather than exist. I want to die standing up, not lying down. If it meant that I had another mastectomy, chemotherapy, radiotherapy again, but I could live and enjoy my family and my life, then I would take HRT. Can I try it for three months? And then we can review and see. How can I then say, no, you can't? Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So it's, um, and you know, I saw another woman a few weeks ago who had breast cancer 20 years ago, very small cancer. She had, she had no radiotherapy, chemotherapy, she just had it removed. And she desperate, and she's more worried about osteoporosis than her breast cancer recurring. Yeah. So then it's about sharing uncertainty with with women, and everything is very individualised. Yeah. Um, and often when we do consultations, we try and involve oncologists and other doctors, but often the oncologists have said, "No, you absolutely can't." Um, but they're not living that person's life, and you know, I feel really strongly that you know that patients know what it's like to have a disease and they can make 
decisions. And like I said before, taking HRT is reversible as well. Yeah, that's so, so true. You know, people can try things, can't they? And then make a decision because I think that's easier as well sometimes. Yeah. Um, so you've mentioned estrogen, you've mentioned progesterone. Let's talk about testosterone because um, it's the one that I feel many women are wary of, partly because, you know, we think of it as being a male hormone and partly because it's not licensed for use in the UK by women. Am I right in saying that? Um, you know, two questions on that. Should we all be taking it? And why is it not licensed here yet when it is in other countries like Australia? Hmm. Yes. It's interesting, isn't it? Testosterone. Um, I didn't know women had testosterone 10 years ago because no one taught me. Testosterone comes from the word testis. We don't have testes as women. So why would we talk about it? Well, testosterone is actually the most biologically active hormone in women. When we're younger, we produce higher levels of testosterone than we do of estrogen. And the levels of testosterone just decline with age. Um, so it's more of an age thing rather than a menopause thing. Uh, we produce quite a lot of our testosterone from our ovaries. So if women have their ovaries removed, they'll lose more testosterone quicker. Now, testosterone works all around the body like estrogen does, especially in our brains. So um, it works as a neurotransmitter, a chemical that has a signal from one to another. And it also inter interacts with other neurotransmitters and hormones such as serotonin, our happy hormone, dopamine, which is, affects our reward center in our brains and our stress hormones as well. Um, so we've known for many years, actually, that testosterone may be important, may have a role in women. But it's also something about it's just been ignored for women. So we have testosterone that's licensed for men, of course. Um, we know from the NICE guidance that we can offer testosterone to women on HRT if they have reduced libido, because most of the studies with testosterone in women have been on libido. And obviously, libido in women is more complicated than just a hormone. You know, there's lots of reasons why we might have reduced libido. But in our clinic, we prescribe HRT for women with reduced libido despite being on HRT. And um, we notice and women notice that other symptoms improve. So mood, energy, concentration, stamina, um, mental health symptoms often can improve. So anxiety, low mood, but sleep can improve, stamina can improve ability to concentrate so ability to keep your job as well um, and that makes sense if you think of where the testosterone works in our bodies as well um, but the studies haven't been done and some people say well if there's no studies you can't do it but actually we can't advance science unless we try things and you know penicillin wasn't discovered with a randomized control study we don't always need to have randomized control studies lots of observational data really important and common sense as well because we know testosterone is important um, the testosterone that we often prescribe in the clinic is as you say the one that's licensed in australia um, and uh, it, we're hoping it will get licensed some stage in the not too distant future over here just because it's not licensed doesn't mean it's not safe. So we can still prescribe either the male testosterone in lower doses or privately, it costs about a pound a day, the testosterone cream from Australia. Um, and it is still regulated. So there's still, it's a proper hormone. It's still safe. And we give really low doses and we monitor blood levels. So I haven't seen women with beards or hairy arms coming to the clinic. There's this whole fear about side effects and any side effects people have are usually reversible. 
Sometimes when people rub it onto their thigh, they get some hair growth on their thigh. But most of us don't mind having a slightly hairy thigh if it means our brains are working. Yeah. Um, so voice changes are reported, but again, I haven't haven't seen them. People talk about clitoral megaly, so enlargement of the clitoris. Actually, a lot of women, their clitoris has shrunk when they're menopausal. They can't find it or it doesn't do anything to them. So actually, it can regrow as opposed to having this massive structure in between your legs. I just haven't seen it because the doses we give are, like I say, low and safe. Yeah. And you mentioned the cost there. So I feel like that's something that could be a bit of a barrier. So until it is licensed, mm. you know, if it is licensed in the UK, um, you know, there is that cost. And you said it was one pound a day, which doesn't sound like mm. much. But actually, so I I was taking the Australian is it Androfem it's called Androfem. Um, yeah. I think it works out at about ninety pounds for a tube of it, and I I'll be honest, I've stopped taking it because I just felt like okay, I'm not sure I can justify that cost right now, and I'm just gonna not get another tube of it and just see what happens. So I feel like the cost right now is a barrier, which isn't an ideal situation to be in, is it? It's absolutely not. And um, we've now got the um, prescribing um, cheaper prescriptions in in England for people on HRT, but they didn't include testosterone. You can get the testosterone gel for men. It's slightly cheaper, it works out, depending on where you get it, it probably slightly cheaper. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you had a partner or a child and they said, for one pound a day, you would feel so much better, you would be able to actually probably get promoted at work and earn a lot more than an extra pound a day. Um, would, would you do it? Yeah, of course and you'd be, you'd of, be but saying, But it's because yeah, it's about ourselves. We think 30 quid a month, that's a lot. That's yeah. a lot of money, we can't do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the amount of, I don't know, I don't eat chocolate. But if I did, a lot of people buy a pack of crisps or bar of chocolate most days. Yeah. I would sacrifice any of that to go on testosterone and that's me as a personal experience because I know my brain doesn't work without testosterone um but that's it but it it doesn't work for everyone and I don't want everyone to think taking testosterone is going to be you know the be all and end all but for a lot of women it does make a big difference you know we've we've found in our clinic nearly 50 percent of uh, well, well the improvements in anxiety is is over 50 percent and you know, a lot of women are reporting that symptoms improve. Um, you know, there's this pushback that, oh, it's placebo. I don't think women are so stupid that they just keep on taking a placebo. Yeah. Um, and we also know that there are estrogen receptors in our cardio, sorry, testosterone receptors and estrogen receptors, but testosterone receptors in our cardiovascular system, in our bones, in our muscles. So it probably will help reduce risk of osteoporosis. We'll possibly love to show reduced risk of dementia as well so you know it's it's such a shame that we're being denied something um that really could potentially make a difference to our future health as well right i'm gonna get back on the testosterone dr louise that's what i'm gonna do um not that you're telling me to do that that's my own decision Um, (laughs) no medical advice here um what in your view then what else needs to change so there's been talk of all like all women being invited to a menopause checkup at 45 you know um in your view is that a good thing and what else do you think needs to be implemented to improve things 
Well, we certainly need more stock of HRT, don't we? Because we run out of it all the time. And in the UK, we've gone from 10% of menopausal women to 16% at the very most. And we've run out. Like, what's going on, actually? I feel we should have a mind shift about the menopause. I feel we should be thinking about it as a a condition with consequences a bit like obesity is it a disease or not well you can argue it both ways but obesity um, is associated with risks heart disease you know cancer so forth we need to wake up to the fact that menopausal women are here to stay of course there's 1.2 billion of us in the world if we're treated properly we will reduce risk of disease that is fact we've got evidence to show that so we want to reduce our economic burden on health economies, but also we want to give back to the economy. You know, the amount of women, around 10% of women give up their jobs because of menopausal symptoms. Giving them the job that's going to allow them to work from home or reduce their hours is, is not actually good. We want to, I really want to be a significant breadwinner in my family. I want to contribute to our family holiday and our meals out and I couldn't do it if I wasn't on HRT you know if we think about the NHS alone 40% of NHS employees are menopausal women around 10% give up their jobs like why is a priority are we not thinking about the menopause there's a lot of talk about chronic diseases so heart disease clinical depression osteoporosis diabetes obesity all can be reduced with taking HRT and improving menopause care, but no one's doing it. Like we, we, we've got to change perceptions for not just for healthcare professionals, but for women and men as well. So it's seen as a more of a priority because there's no doubt about it in the studies, the earlier women take treatment, the better. No, so we've got to, it's a massive mind shift. And as I'm realizing, trying to change people is really hard and there's a lot of resistance isn't there yeah yeah it sounds like it um dr louise a huge thank you for joining me today it's been so wonderful to talk to you um where can we find you online to hear more from you so i've got actually a website drlouisenewson.co.uk which just says more about me and my podcast and various things we've got the balance app which is a free app um balance-menopause.com website has loads of resources on it as well my podcast is Dr. Louise Newson, which is on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get podcasts from. And then I've written three books now. The last one um, is the most recent one, which is a definitive guide to the perimenopause and menopause. So lots of information and the, the app is completely free as well. And it always will be free. So lots of information. Brilliant. You're doing good things. So thank you so much. Thank from, you. From thousands and thousands of perimenopausal and menopausal women. Thank you. And thank you for joining me today. It's been great. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.